this is your first time here with us this morning, welcome. We're so glad that you're able to spend your family day weekend with us. We know that there are people away enjoying time with their families, enjoying uh, a warmer bit of weather than people in Calgary are enjoying right now. And so even though it might feel a little bit cold, count your blessings. It is not minus 30, and it has been like minus 30 in Calgary for a prolonged period of time. Literally, I got outside, and uh, I complained about it immediately, of course. And everyone reassured me, no, this, has been, this is warmer than it's been in the last little bit. And I said, oh, thank God that he said to go to Vancouver. So, <laughs> uh, we are going through a series currently called Church Clothes. And so, if you are, are here this morning, I hope that, and, and you... If this is your first time here with us. Uh, I hope that you met a friendly face on the way in, you grabbed a cup of coffee, you feel welcome and at home, uh, wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith this morning, Christian, atheist, agnostic, not really sure what you believe or where you stand, I hope that this is a, pl- a space that's welcome for you. But we're going through the book of Galatians, and this is a letter from Paul to the Galatian church. And so we spent weeks one and two just We're in a little bit of a sprint through it. We did chapter one and chapter two. This week we're in chapter three. But it is the idea that we all have different accessories to our faith, different things that we attach to the idea of a simple gospel, a simple faith, a simple grace. And it's funny that Netflix released their Marie Kondo uh, bit right around the same time as we started Church closed, and then everybody was trying to do the minimalist thing with their closets and with their lives. And the, I think the, the number was like the Salvation Army received like 5,000 or 5 million pounds of clothes within the first week of that showing up on Netflix or something like that. So everyone's kind of got this like minimalist mindset, on their, on, a mindset in their lives at the moment. But uh, in a lot of ways, Galatians is Paul saying, you got to keep your faith to a little bit more of a minimum. Don't need to make it so complicated. So we're kind of walking through this different conversation. Last week we talked a little bit about conflicts. And, and this week we're going to jump into Galatians chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 23 this morning. So you can follow along on the screen. And it says this. It says, Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of the faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your your word. I just pray that we are open to receive something fresh in it, that we have ears that listen and, and, and a mind that wants to engage with the hope of your love. So grateful for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Oh, all right. Uh, my question to get us going this morning is, uh, what is it that you crave? Uh, what, what brings you comfort? Because we all have different things. And I'm not just talking like a, a midnight 
McDonald's run craving. Sure, we crave that at moments. A good junior chicken and a McDouble, make a McTrigger burger, you feel good about it. And you're excited about it, and perhaps you were craving it all day. But we have different things in our lives that we crave for the purposes of comfort. And we've, sometimes they're odd, sometimes we're a little bit embarrassed about them, and we don't really want to talk about them in public. But because I have a microphone, I'm obligated to talk about them in public. So uh, one thing that I get a lot of comfort in, and especially when I go into new spaces, is a great pillow. And if you talk to anyone that I know, I have the oddest tendency that when I go to someone's house and I sit on their couch, I immediately grab the pillow and it ends up like this <laughs> every single time. It's this like safety mechanism. I feel better about myself. Maybe I'm protecting myself from, from the world. I don't know what it is, but I love a good pillow. And that was, that, that's just like one craving I have. I, I love good food as well. Like everyone has like a favorite restaurant and uh, you have moments where you just start craving whatever it might be. Maybe we'll go back to McDonald's, a McFlurry that you just so desperately desire that Smarties McFlurry that you've, that you've been thinking about all day long. There was an episode of, of Survivor where they had all of the, the castaways who were hanging out and the host comes up, of course, and the, the game was he was going to reveal bit by bit something for people to bid on. And it was the simplest of items, but they had been so deprived for a period of time of these comforts in society that they were so used to that a burger ends up on there and they're spending hundreds of dollars that they've been given just to get this little burger. And then it was a piece of candy. Then it was a chocolate cake. And it was all these different cravings that they were having that were being fulfilled. And it was costing them a lot, but it was meant to bring them comfort as well. And, and, and we can be simple in, in life and we can have simple cravings and different things that we desperately desire on a day-to-day -day basis. But all these cravings are always tied to more than simply wanting the item, but we want the experience that the item provides. You don't want simply the McChicken. You want the feeling that it gives you at the moment, not after. <laughs> that, that is what we crave. We crave that comfort. We crave that security, especially, especially when we go into new environments and we go into new spaces. When we go into foreign uh, ideas and environments, it becomes more and more difficult to even understand. Uh, we revert to cravings, areas of comfort, areas of, of familiarity when we are in new or difficult spaces. This is what, we're, this is what we do. And, and in many ways, this, this story with the Galatians and with this letter from Paul is exactly what is happening as well. Because when you're writing a letter to someone and you're telling them not to do something, very simply, it's because they are doing it. <laughs> so he's writing to the Galatian church and he's saying that you don't need to be circumcised. It's not, they don't need to adhere to Jewish law, but it indicates that there was this craving for acceptance that they were discovering, and they were, they were going through the route of circumcision. 
This, this need to revert back to comfort or to familiarity. And you see the people in Galatia, they, they want to be circumcised. And that's an odd statement. Because the question then comes to our mind, why would a bunch of Gentile Christians want to be circumcised in the first place? Because, because if we're, we're talking about this really honestly, I mean, we're, coming, we're talking about a time where local anesthesia is not a thing. <laughs> this, is, this is as if someone is taking a full punch to the nether regions of the individual to the point that they lose consciousness. It, it, is, it is extremely painful, this thing that they're being invited into so that they become more Christian does not seem all that appealing if we're being honest. See, I, I, I'm very committed to Jesus, and, I, and I'm, I've given my life to him, I've given my career to him, and I'm learning to give him everything every single day, but I'm not sure about my foreskin. I don't know how I feel about that. It, it just feels like that is pushing the boundaries in the moment. That's a tough one. No, shoot, no, no, no shirt, no shoes, no service. Just doesn't seem to like fit. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Welcome to City Collective, right? <laughs> so one of the arguments of why this is happening is some people postulate that there's a high number of Jewish Christians in, in the area. Uh, and we know that when Paul is writing, he's writing to the Galatian church, which, which is probably in southern Turkey. And Palestine's not that far away, but it's also like 500 kilometers from Jerusalem. There's no motorized transportation that's going to take them from point A to point B really quickly. It's not easily accessible. So it's unlikely that there's a high ratio of Jewish Christians in the area. So it's, it's not the fact that the church was full of Jews. There's still a high Gentile population. And then, so if they're not Jews... And they're receiving the gospel from Paul, who tells them that they can come directly to Christ, apart from the Jewish system. Why are they so interested in this painful Jewish custom? I mean, like, were these Judaizers showing up with a light show, uh, with a local celebrity, offering free pizza with every circumcision, and a temporary tattoo saying cut on it, and like, everyone's really excited about that? It's interesting. That even the most like simple of truths can be hard to grab hold of and to carry in our own lives, especially when we don't recognize it or it feels unfamiliar. Because the idea of unconditional love and unconditional grace, there's nothing like it. And, and for the Galatians... They've never experienced this kind of thought process, this kind of gift, this kind of presentation of hope before. And, and we go through this our own story as, in our own story as well, where we like to complicate things. It's as if the mo something that is simple is more easily accepted when we make it more complicated. When we tie, I need to do X, Y, Z to get to it. I, I can understand that. I can get behind that kind of gift. Then it feels like somehow I'm in control. Because this is, this is the truth of it. Our cravings might be meant for comfort, but in reality, our cravings also provide us a level of control. 
We desire control in our, in our day-to-day lives, in our relationships, in our new environments. Because when we feel like we're in control, we feel like we're secure. And when we're secure, we feel like we can actually enjoy the moment. And, and that's why the idea of this unconditional grace is so hard for the Galatian church and for us to really comprehend. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, it might be simple, and, but there is sacrifice associated with following Jesus. Sacrifice of self. Sacrifice of the things that lead us away from his purpose in our life. Sacrifice of our own pride and our own ambition. But God is not a, a maniacal puppeteer in heaven orchestrating situations, trying to make it more difficult for you to get closer. And then as you get closer, he pulls it away and says, ha ha, you have to get circumcised now. He's not, he's, this is not who he is. This concept of God is so foreign to them. And in a lot of ways, it's really foreign to us too. In a society where striving and trying to attain success in life is so central to our identity. The idea of a free gift that transforms our life and changes us might sound good and we might go to it immediately, but we automatically try and do what the Galatians do and trying to overcomplicate it once we have it. Try to go to a place of comfort, of security. Try to make ourselves believe that we are in control. But when we do that for ourselves, we actually impose that on others. This free gift of grace that we're given, we feel really good about it and we, we accept it. And then when someone else comes along, we seem to have more qualifications than we had to deal with. We seem to forget the journey that we go on. So the issue here in Galatia has less to do with the compelling nature of Judaism. I think we can clarify that there's nothing really exciting about the idea of circumcision. And more to do with the impact of Roman paganism. All right, a little bit of a history lesson. So, uh, Paul talks about this in the book of Philippians, but we know that there was an imperial cult that was in the Roman Empire at the time. And the way it functioned is that the emperor that was currently in control, when he died, the conversation was that he would go and he would ascend to the right hand of Jupiter. And the next one that would come into power, well, he was therefore almost considered a deity. And when Rome started to take over large portions of the world, they became a really multicultural society. They started to take on different religions and different cultures and different spaces. And the funny thing about them is that they were actually really okay with religious freedom as long as you were okay with also worshiping the, empire, uh, the emperor and being part of that imperial cult. And so it, it's, it's, not, it's not a hard thing to add on another god when you've got a dozen, but it's a difficult thing when you've got one and then you're told that you need to have two. So Jews and Christians kind of created some friction with the Roman Empire when they had to introduce the idea of we only believe in one God. So they had, they had a problem with that, and, and that is dealt with later in the book as well. But the way that it functioned is there was multiple cults within the empire. 
And as they took on more land and more cultures, they just in, brought in those cults as well. And within the Roman Empire, there's a famous Roman historian and philosopher named Cicero. He defines religion as the cultivation of the gods. You are expected to cultivate many gods. You are expected to care for many gods and be slowly invited into the mysteries of those gods. And this is what the Romans would call initiation. There was the public worship of the gods, which was open and accessible for anyone, but there was also the mysteries of the gods that was only open to those who were initiated into a particular cult of a particular god. So it was like a secret knowledge that was only available to special initiates. And within the system of each cult, there were multiple initiations which compounded to deeper and deeper mysteries within the religions. We have records of Greco-Roman cults having up to like 60 levels of initiation. For example, if you were initiated into the cult of Isis, not the terrorist organization, but the Egyptian goddess, and you got far enough along the way, you would end up learning about Osiris. And with each successive initiation, you learned more, you experienced more, you knew more, it made you higher up on the food chain. And this is important to understand because Paul comes along preaching the gospel of Jesus, telling the Galatians that they don't need all these initiations, these cults, that Christ is open and he's accessible. And they jump all over this and they say, we don't have to jump through hoops, we're all in. And this in itself is dramatically countercultural. They didn't have to wait till level 3 to receive the Spirit. They didn't have to wait till level 14 to, to get access to the Scriptures. Suddenly it was all present and available for them. And this is part of Paul's frustration. At the beginning of chapter 3, he, he expresses his frustration that they have seemed to have, have abandoned the fact that they've even received the Spirit. That they weren't just introduced into Christianity, they, they were given the Spirit right away. They experience the, the power and the beauty of it. And then the Judaizers come along and they say, whoa, 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 whoa. You've got Jesus and that's great. We're Christians too, but you're missing out on something. Because to be a real Christian, you have to be a Jew as well. And here's the thing. The problem in Galatia isn't that they're reverting to Judaism. The problem isn't that they're abandoning Jesus. The problem is that they're reverting to a mindset from their experience in Roman pagan system that once they become a part of it the only way to learn more is to initiate higher and higher and higher and higher and this is not just a history lesson for the sake of it but I find it fascinating how a past experience was the thing that was tainting the present truth of hope That what they had experienced in the past in terms of their upbringing, in terms of their faith background, was tainting their experience of hope in Jesus. And in a lot of ways, we experience the same thing here today. Where our story with Jesus now is often tainted by a filter of past experience that we impose upon the simple message of grace, of unconditional love. We can't comprehend a father that loves us so deeply. 
because of an experience with a parent growing up. We, we, can't, we can't believe in a system that says that you are already welcome to come before Jesus anytime, anywhere, because we're so used to the idea of having to achieve success to actually be recognized in society. And we have these moments in our past that impact our present. And I'm not saying to forget all that was before us. Don't, forget, don't eliminate your past. Your past can be a wonderful testimony of the goodness of God. But when our past becomes the filter by which we live in our present, we're not giving Jesus the opportunity to truly transform our lives. So this is what's happening with the Galatians. They've, they've experienced this Roman pagan cult system for so long. And now that they've experienced this unconditional love, this gift from God, they don't know what to do with it. They, they don't know how this is supposed to work. And so they, they decide, well, Paul, he's a, he's a Jew. And Paul, he came and gave us the gospel. That was good. That was good. That's good news. And you know what? You know, Paul, Paul's a Jew and he's circumcised. So... He must, have have, he must have some secret mysteries for me to learn more about, so we should follow suit. So perhaps my question for you right now is, is what are the distractions we have from our past which are tainting our present? What are the experiences that we've had in past moments that are so dramatically preventing us from experiencing grace right now. It's a hard question. Because it's an answer that for many of us, myself included, we, we don't really want to admit. <laughs> and we can be our own worst enemies in the process. What past experiences in your life are complicating your acceptance of Jesus? And so Paul, Paul is a Christian, but he's also a Jew, and they're wondering, are you a liar? Are you hiding something from us? This is, we want something deeper. There's something more. What if we do this? Do we experience God in a greater way? But have you ever felt that way? Have you ever wondered if you just go to that conference where that speaker is speaking or that band is playing or that place where Jesus is present and, and you know that you're going to have this great experience that everyone is talking about, that you're no, going to know God in a religious way? And we have this thing that I like to call religious FOMO, where we, we are so concerned about missing out on this experience with God. That we've kind of placed God in boxes that I can experience God here, here, here. People say he's over here too. And there's, there's, there's problems with this as well. Because then we start operating with this understanding as if God can be geolocated. That if, he, that he's, that if he's in this box and if he's in this box, then I know where I can go to find him. And that just completely eliminates the truth and the goodness of God because God is good to me because he is present in every moment. 
He's not just geolocated to this specific church building or just because this person prays really well and they know how to speak in the King James Version. If that's the isolation of our faith, then we are going to be heavily disappointed. God is not good just in word alone. God is good because he is present with us in every moment, in every bit of our story. And if he's not a part of those moments, then I have trouble believing that he's good. I have trouble experiencing that and comprehending that and living into that. And we have religious FOMO. And it's toxic. This need to, that we have to be in the right place at the right time to experience God. I find this journey with the Galatians fascinating because it seems as if uh, they are starting to attach all of these different elements to their faith to overcomplicate it. I think we've clarified that. And in this journey of discovering what it means to follow Jesus, they're bringing old baggage with them. Doesn't matter if it was difficult, doesn't matter if it was good, doesn't matter if it was bad. They seem to just bring it because it brings them comfort. It feels familiar. I know, okay, I need to get to level two in my Christian faith because in level two, obviously I can get closer to him and I can learn more. And we complicate it and we make it more difficult for ourselves than, than it needs to be. And then we, go, we get to the end of the chapter. And I want to read, the, at the very end, Paul communicates, it's one of his most famous passages at the end of Galatians 3. And it's this rally cry of what it means to really be a follower of Jesus. So he says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's only one initiation that matters. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Your background doesn't matter. Ethnic distinctions have been wiped away in the Christian community. You're neither slave nor free. Your economics don't matter. One of the real big issues for the Roman initiation was that you have to pay for each one that you get into. So you might be able to afford to get into level two or three, but you have to be really rich to get to level 40 or 50 or 60. And Paul says here, none of that matters. In Christ, there is no economic barrier that keeps the riffraff in the lower stages. Nor is there male and female. Why, why is he talking about male and female in a conversation about circumcision? Because circumcision fundamentally put women at a disadvantage in unlocking an experience with Christ. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Not anymore. Not in the community of Jesus. This is a practice that excludes and it's gone. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If we have Jesus in common, the unity of that identity should override all human differences, nationality, all socioeconomic differences, gender. And if your relationship with Jesus is based on what you don't believe rather than what you do believe, then it is meant for conflict rather than communion. And this is so easy for us to fall into. 
This is so easy for us to trend towards. Where we become known for what we are against rather than what we are for. And if that is the foundation of our faith, if that is the foundation of how we speak and how we talk and how we live as followers of Jesus, all we are searching to do is to create conflict. And when Paul, all he wants us to do is to be one. So if, if we're talking about what we're for versus what we're against, for example, I'm not against megachurches. <laughs> And I know this, this, this is like a conversation that happens often. I, I, don't, I, don't have an issue, I don't have an issue against megachurches, but I'm for intimate, real relationships and community. I'm not against big organizations in, in the church world, like Hillsong or with Bethel, where people have issues with different things that they do. Those things don't matter to me as long as we are actually for creating authentic, genuine, beautiful experiences where we can have an engaging moment with a risen Savior. Sometimes it's just a slight change in how we communicate, how we talk, how we think that sets the platform for what is our foundation. If your foundation is what you are against, that is like building your house on sand because that will shift over time. But if your foundation is for what you are for, for people discovering life in Jesus, for discovering hope everywhere and anywhere, for seeing God transform lives from the inside out to loving people all the way through their story. If we are for those things, if that is our foundation, that's a good place to build upon. When you talk about what you believe, when you you communicate where you are in your faith story. Are you basing it upon what you are against or on what you are for? Because I so believe that there is more for you when you understand what you are for rather than what you are against. I'm not saying to be unaware. I'm not saying to be oblivious. I'm not saying to be ignorant. But what is your foundation? Because if my foundation is that... (laughs) I am for people discovering Jesus, then I can engage with real conversation. I can have a conversation that maybe makes me a little uncomfortable. I can listen better. Often that's the first thing to go when we are against rather than we're for. When we're against something, we are so eager to tell our side of the story to lay down our piece of law, to overcomplicate the simple grace that's been given to us. What an incredible gift that we have been given to just tell a simple truth that you are unconditionally loved, forgiven before you ask, and accepted into the family of God right here, right now. So wherever you're at today, whether it's a past experience that you feel is somehow overcomplicating your current acceptance of Jesus, there's no condemnation in that. There's no shame in that. But there's an incredible opportunity, I think, 
to identify and to be aware. And then just to be gracious and to surrender it. Say, Jesus, just take this struggle, this thought, this experience that I'm still carrying, this burden that is overwhelming the way I experience you, the way that I live with you, the way that I follow you. Would you take that? Perhaps it's, it's a story of you don't really know what you're for. You know what you're against. But what would happen if your narrative changed from being against something rather to be for something? Because grace is not grace unless it transforms you. Grace is not grace and value alone. Grace is grace when it, when it hits you, <laughs> when, it, when it causes you to shift. And it changes the way that you look at the person across the room. The way that you talk to the person on the street. The way that you treat yourself in the quiet moments. Grace is active and, and, and moving. It's a gift that is not meant to simply stand on the outside of our lives, but to be at the very core of our being. So perhaps some of these questions have been difficult, confrontational. And perhaps you already tuned me out because you didn't like them. There's grace for that. <laughs> what an amazing gift we've been given. So there's no condemnation tied to those questions. But an opportunity to really ask, how can I learn what it means to truly follow Jesus? To get to know this Savior that came so that I might experience life. And life abundantly. To know him changes everything. And he is in pursuit of you. There's no initiations to walk through, no higher levels to get through. If you feel like your previous religious experiences have always felt like separation rather than communion, that is not Jesus. That's not his story. It's not what he desires for you. He wants every single person here, wherever you are on your journey, to be one in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for you right now. Thank you for strength when we don't deserve it. For grace when we desperately need it. For hope when we search for it and for peace when it doesn't make sense. Thank you that when you came, you changed everything. No longer was it about us doing things to get good standing with you. But it was a free, unfettered gift. Help us to keep it simple. To not search out an experience or a moment to make us closer to you. But to just to reflect in every moment and listen for your ever-present voice 
speaking to us and, and leading us and guiding us. So for every person here, if there is something in our past which is causing us to struggle with the idea of accepting Jesus in our present, I pray that you meet us in that struggle. If we're here this morning and we're carrying bitterness or, or feelings against constructs or people or ideas, I pray that you would turn that conversation to what we were for and we would learn to know what we're for. And more than anything, I just pray that we experience what it is to know your grace and how that would change us and how that would transform us. We want to know you. Thank you that you want to know us. In your name we pray. Amen.